speak and bring a message from God's word. And as we've said, Russ and Mary, uh, uh, Josh and Christy, all ministering in Melbourne. So our prayers are with them. And I'm sure it'll be a good day. Uh, we've got uh, guests with us uh, this morning from Western Australia, Riley and Taylor and little Evie. Great to see you guys here. They're on their way back to Western Australia from Hillsong. And um, so, yes, this week they've been listening to Louis Giglio, is it? And, and um, Joseph Prince. And now Steve Brown. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they were saying that um, God's word that... Um, um, at Hillsong um, this year was um, not an emphasis on how much we need to love God but an emphasis on how much he loves us and it, it uh, really took over um, the direction of the conference this year so that's good to know and that as we focus on how much that revelation of how much he loves us just changes a whole lot of things in our lives as a response to that overwhelming love. Now, I only have about three messages, so, and this one's one of my favourites. <laughs> so, and it's about love, and it's about God's love for the other side. And I want to just share and un- unpack um, who that is. It'll be a different other side for each one of us. But I attended the Global Leadership Summit some years ago, and there was a... <clears throat> An enthusiastic lawyer, Christian lawyer, Bob Goff, some of you might know him, he's written a lot of books, and he came on to speak, and I was blown away with his enthusiasm for his calling. He's just, he's up there. And he said that he had written on his message, uh, on his mirror, uh, where I guess where he goes to shave every morning, simple message, love God, love people, and do stuff. And it had been a while since I'd heard the gospel expressed that simply. And it is profound also. Love people, love God, love people, do stuff. And that's really, I guess, the crux of the message I want to share with you this morning. Spend enough time in God's word and in his presence to develop a profounding and lasting love for God the Father, love for his Son, Jesus Christ, and for the Holy Spirit, who is in with who is in within each one of us so that we can acknowledge Jesus as Lord and do stuff. I remember when God the Holy Spirit touched my life some years ago and I shared this in the early weeks of when the church started that um, I'd been studying the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. I was about almost 30 and I sensed that there was more for me in God. I was thirsty to experience more of God and I invited him to fill my life. And what I noticed over the next few weeks was that I had developed a greater love and appreciation of others. That was the outcome for me of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There were other manifestations of the Spirit, and I welcomed those. But I recognised that I'd changed. And um, whereas I, I guess, was living my life being a good Christian for myself, what had come over me was a love for others. I believe God did something supernaturally for me at that time. And I, rec- and I recognised I was experiencing how God sees others, how he sees the other side. 
With God's perspective, you begin to understand and appreciate the incalculable value of a person. People matter to God. All people. And I need to focus on that, as you probably do too, that our responsibility is to bring the kingdom of God to earth through our efforts to include and love others. It says in Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 13, Jesus instructs us to pray like this, Our God in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our responsibility prior to Jesus coming back again is to pray and be actively involved, participating and bringing the kingdom of God into our communities on the earth. Because the world does not operate on the principles of God's kingdom. And I just want us to consider again one of the stories from Jesus' life which showed us how deeply he believed that people matter to the Father. Oh, thank you. I usually just sniff all the way through. I often, often have people say to me, I just love it. The fact that you're uh, a man and a father and that you, you show emotion so freely. I said, you should live on the other side. <laughs> Where it's the story of your life. <laughs> but it is, it is good. There are times when I don't break down. <laughs> I can't remember when they are, but... Um, so I want to consider one of the stories from Jesus' life which showed how deeply he believed that people mattered to the Father. One day, early in Jesus' ministry, he'd been teaching in Galilee and things were going really well. Uh, in fact, it says in Mark 4 that a crowd had gathered around him and it was so large that he had to get into a boat. Who knows sound travels better over water? True. And so he was on the boat and the whole multitude was on the shore. Then later in the evening, he says, let us go over to the other side. And sometimes we see those little phrases in the scripture. So, wow, well, so he's going to go over the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But he was actually dropping a bombshell with his disciples. Because the other side wasn't just the other side of the lake. It was a technical term for the area known as the Decapolis. So Jesus was saying, let us go from this side of Galilee where we are all Jews and some Romans, across the Sea of Galilee to the other side, the Decapolis. It was a Greek term for the ten cities over there. It was enemy territory. And these people were pagan. In fact, these cities comprised the seven pagan tribes of Canaan that were listed in the book of Joshua, where it says these were the people the Israelites were to drive from the land. In Acts 13, 19, Paul says that God drove from their land the seven tribes of Canaan and gave it to the Israelites, their land to them by allotment. Now, traditional history in the time of Jesus listed this area as the land where the tribes of Canaan had settled down. They had built pagan temples that idolised sexuality, violence, wealth and power. 
really everything that Israel was to guard itself against. Who knows what animal is off limits to the Jews? The pig. The pig, right. Well, on the other side, the pig was worshipped as part of occultic practices. It was also a centre for Roman power. And a Roman legion, 6,000 soldiers, were based there. And the symbol for the legion was apparently a boar's head, the head of a pig. And the Jews regarded the other side as a place where Satan lived. It was a dark, demonic, evil place, and no Jew ever goes there. Not to the other side. Especially a rabbi. And then casually, one day, the disciples' rabbi says, let's go over to the other side. What's Jesus doing in saying that? Doesn't he know that the kingdom is supposed to come from Israel? It's almost like he doesn't think of it as the other side. It's almost, it's almost like he thinks it's his side. It's almost like he believes that all the people are going to be blessed through him, even the seven tribes of Canaan. This is a strange rabbi. And in Mark 5, they go over and land in the Decapolis area. Now, Jesus had been drawing big crowds on his side. But when they go over to the Decapolis, there's no one there to meet them except for one man. And you will have heard the story and read it many times. A man possessed by evil spirits. That's no surprise. This is the other side. No one goes to the other side. This man is so desperate that he cannot be subdued. He breaks chains. He lives among the tombs. He cuts himself. And when Jesus arrives, he falls down on his knees before Jesus and says, what do you want from me? In God's name, do not torture me. Jesus says to the evil spirit, what is your name? And do you remember the response? We are legion, for we are many. This answer had significance for the Jewish disciples, beyond what we imagine. This was a loaded word because there was a legion of Roman soldiers on the other side. It's a reminder of all the power that Jesus is up against. The demons asked to be sent to a group of animals. Which animals? The pigs. There's a herd of 2,000 and they rush down the hill and drown. This story would read very differently to a Jewish person. To the Canaanites, the pig was regarded as a sacred animal, whereas the Jews would rather die than eat the flesh of a pig. And the pig is also the symbol of Roman power. This reads as an immense battle between good and evil. And it's no context. It's no contest. The pigs lose. The pig herders respond by running off to tell everyone what has happened. When the people come and they see the previously tormented man in his right mind and beg Jesus and they beg Jesus to leave. They didn't see it as a great thing, as a miracle. They didn't think about whether Jesus could help them because he's from the other side. And someone from the other side is associated with hurting them, actually. Having their own agenda, an attitude of superiority, judgment 
and distance. So Jesus goes away. In Mark 5.18, we read the healed man begs to go with them, to be able to follow them. He says, and when he got into the boat, he, he who had been demon-possessed begged them that he might be with him. And that's a reasonable response from someone who's been healed. Imagine that man's feeling when the boat rose away and he's not in it. So the man goes away and in Mark 5.20 began to tell all the people on the other side what Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Jesus wants to make sure that the disciples get the message that he is for the other side because this is the message they struggle to understand. They tend to want to hang out on their side and think it's the best. On another time, he's preaching on the other side and a crowd of 4,000 people turn up. In Mark 8, 2, Jesus says to his disciples, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have had nothing to eat. Now, I spent first the first, I guess, 30 years of my life as a Christian wondering why there were two recorded events of feeding people. First the 4,000, uh, first the 5,000, and then the 4,000. I actually wondered if a writer might have become confused um, because the Gospels were written by different people. That, you know, and, I, of course, the answer is far more profound and is based on our understanding of the different regions around Galilee. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he was on the Jewish side of Galilee. Mark, in, uh, in Mark 6, the disciples came to him late in the afternoon after Jesus had been teaching the people, and they asked Jesus to send the crowds away so that they could obtain food from the nearby farms and villages. Instead, Jesus blessed the, blesses the five loaves and two fish and broke them, so they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up how many leftover baskets? Twelve. Jesus was showing them that he would provide for the twelve tribes of Israel. He was the promised Messiah. He would provide for them. Later in Mark 8, Jesus feels sorry for the people on the other side in the Decapolis. You'll note from this story, we find no disciple raising the issue of feeding the people. Jesus himself feels sorry for them. And his disciples ask, how are we to feed them? What a strange question after seeing the music. They weren't interested in feeding the 4,000, because we're on the other side. Why don't they want to feed them? Because they're on the other side, as I said. And they said, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves. After the crowd of 4,000 had eaten as much as they wanted, how many loaves were left? Yes, seven. So loaded for symbolism with everyone present. Jesus was teaching the disciples that he was not only going to make provision for the 12 tribes of tribes of Israel, but he was going to provide for the seven tribes of Canaan. The other side. Because they're all on his side. He's coming for everyone. And a final word on the demented man. Jesus healed and left behind. When Jesus first went to the Decapolis, he was greeted by one pathetic demon-filled man who begged to go with Jesus. 
but he left him behind. When Jesus later returned to this other side, crowds of people came to meet him in one of the most enthusiastic, enthusiastic welcomes during his entire ministry. Why? Because he left one man behind to tell his story. One man who went to every town telling others that he'd been healed by the Son of God. So what does this mean for us? Our mission, should we choose to accept it, I'm sure we do, is to work with God as agents of change, to punch holes in the darkness, to live deliberately for all people, not just those in the church, for everyone, to create those thin places, those thin movements, those moments that enables the kingdom of God to come to the earth. In glimpses, until his kingdom, his kingship, comes to the world in all its completeness. God is love, but currently not all that happens in the world is lovely, or what God wants. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Rather than calling us to recite a prayer of thanksgiving, that all is well. C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity, any enemy-occupied territory, that is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in the great campaign of sabotage. I've been inspired uh, over six or seven years now by understanding the work of an oasis in the United Kingdom, a ministry that is transforming communities across the world, led by Steve Chalk, who's a Baptist minister. Steve is a Christian activist, and Oasis now is responsible for uh, running almost 50 schools, secondary and primary, all which sit with, within a total of 35 community hubs. And Oasis is inspired and motivated, motivated by the life-teaching example of Jesus. And Steve writes in his book, Being Human, Jesus never wrote a set of doctrines, he never started a denomination and likely never intended to begin a new religion. He simply demonstrated a different way of living, loving God, loving others the way we love ourselves and invited others to follow him in that. In, that. in this context, Jesus' famous words, I am the way, the truth and the life, take on an extraordinary dynamic Subversive edge. Following Jesus, it turns out, isn't about religion and all its paraphernalia. It's simply about a way of walking the road of life. Following Jesus was a revolutionary way of doing life then. It still is today. It's about placing our faith in him, trusting Christ enough to walk his way through life. It's about letting his story shape our actions, our attitudes, our responses, and initiatives. You know, I believe that when we, the righteous, begin to prosper and begin to do what Jesus has called us to do, the whole city will rejoice. These people, the righteous, 
will have such character that people recognise this is good news for everyone, for the whole city, for the whole organisation that you're part of. In the Old Testament, they are referred to as the righteous. Now, we're not talking about being self-righteous. We're talking about living for, uh, living other, for others in every aspect of life. The Hebrew word is uh, sotokine. And uh, I read this uh, by Tim Kelleher. He defines them like this. The righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves in order to advantage the community. Which leads us to this question. Am I the kind of person about whom someone in my neighbourhood would say, you know, I don't believe what he believes, but I shudder to think what our community would be like if he wasn't around. Or she adds so much value, so much compassion, so much joy to our whole workplace. I may not agree with her faith, but I know we would be the poorer office if she were not here. That's the righteous. That's the Sodokane. These are the people Jesus referred to as the salt of the earth, light of the world. His gospel is not, his gospel is not here are the minimal requirements for getting into heaven when you die. His gospel is that the kingdom of God is here and it includes forgiveness by grace and life forever in heaven. And it starts here and it starts now. This is good news even for the people who don't currently believe it. The city rejoices when the righteous prosper. Rob Bell writes in his book that the idea is that when a new person in the community gets converted and becomes a follower of Jesus, the idea is that they begin to do what Jesus did and said they become more generous, more compassionate, more friendly, and then it's good news for the community. The weapons of Jesus' kingdom are rakes and brooms and visits and listening ears and open hands and generous hearts and open homes. Good on you, Lance and Christine. Doing things. This is good news for the neighbours, even the Hindu neighbours, the Muslim neighbours, even the atheist neighbours. And at the office it's good news, and at school, because in the gospel, if it isn't good news for everybody, even those on the other side, it isn't good news for anybody. And the mission of the church is... Not to make sure things are going on okay. Inside, well, the rest of the world goes to hell. Every once in a while, the body of his Christ, his church, just as we're doing this morning, meets on the weekends, but then on Monday, Christ goes on the road. And that's you and me. God gets incarnate in homes and offices and schools. It's so easy for us to slip back into a life that's influenced by fear or rejection, focus on ourselves, on our side, but Jesus sees 
the whole community as his side. He wants them all. So where are the people that God is calling you to bless? The Holy Spirit will just bring that to your mind right now. Currently we have about 6% of our population attending church on a Sunday. 3% of those in evangelical Protestant churches. So there's plenty of opportunity. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it starts with your marriage, your fellow worker, a different generation, a different culture group. Will you love the other side? Go to the other side. Bless the other side. Give to the other side. Let's pray. I'm just going to give an opportunity this morning. If anyone wants to come forward after we've prayed for prayer, for any need, for any, anything the Holy Spirit wants you to do, please feel free to come forward. I'll have people here to pray with you. And we just want the Holy Spirit to continue to move and civilise in whatever he's asking you to do. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that Jesus demonstrated so clearly his heart for all people. His immense love for everyone. We just ask that your Holy Spirit would just move through each one of us now Lord, to remind us again of those people that you're prompting us to reach out to, to be generous to, to do good things for. So that as we prosper, as the righteous, the whole city will prosper. All people will prosper through your people. May we be instruments of peace where there is none. Maybe we be used by you to heal the hurts that are in all people. May our city prosper, Lord, as we step out and touch their lives, each person's lives, that you draw us to. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen.